Leap of Faith podcast fans. What a joy and a treat I have for you. We're doing it live with another episode of This Week of the Leap of Faith with me, Randy Silver. This week, it's Real Estate Investing 101. I have two of my best friends in the world, Alexio Barbara and Reed Campbell. So the reason why they're on is Alexio is a real estate agent and Reed is a first time home buyer. Alexio actually represented Reed in his purchase, which is so cool to have a friendship like that. And this is why I wanted to come on. You guys have heard me do Investing 101, we did Adulting 101. A big ask was, hey, how do I get myself into the housing market? How do I buy property? Things like that. So Alexio is gonna give us the tips to trade, talk about key terms to know. Reed's gonna talk about being a first time home buyer, the experiences, what he went through, mortgages, financing. And of course, Alexio here will give us all the tips to trade. Again, just what you need to know about the market, what the market's doing right now in coronavirus and everything like that. Sounds fun, I can't wait for it. You know, I've actually started looking into potentially buying property as well. Of course, I'm going to use Alexio, got to use my boy. So I'm going to be using this educational episode as well to make sure I understand what I need to know. And I hope you do too. Reed and Alexio and I all went to Santa Cruz together. Alexio and I lived together in Santa Cruz for a year. Reed and I lived together in San Francisco for a year. Now we all live in San Diego together. I am so happy I get to do this live. I'm looking at their beautiful smiles right now. They're blushing but they're trying to hold it in because I told them they can't talk until I let them say, welcome to the podcast. So without further ado, Alexio Reed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Randy. It's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, been listening to a lot of your podcasts and it's really cool to hear a lot of our friends from college um, and kind of see where they've come over the last you know, four or five years since we graduated. And it's definitely an honor to be here and it's, it's always fun uh, hanging out with you and Reed. I think we just did a epic workout in your backyard and uh, then caught the sunset at the beach right here in Pacific Beach. So there's no better way to get prepared for a podcast than that. <laughs> yeah, Randy, excited to be here and uh, looking forward to speaking to the Leap of Fate fans. Awesome. I'm so happy to have you guys here as well. So Alexia Reed, again, thank you so much for coming on. I think we should just get right into it. I think we'll have fun banter with everybody here. So, Alexio, let's just start with you. What made you want to become a real estate agent? So, I graduated back in 2015. Uh, I think we were the same year, Randy. And right after I graduated, I went on a trip to Thailand with uh, with my now fiance Taylor. And once I got back, I was kind of like, "Hey, what should I do? You know, I got a degree in business management economics." And there were a lot of opportunities with that kind of uh, a training. My family background is what my, my dad actually, from early in the 90s when he moved here from France, he started getting into real estate, um, working with my grandpa. And since then has bought several uh, apartment buildings, you know, slowly over the, the 20, 30 year period. You know, over the years he's worked with several real estate brokers and he said at the time he was just closing on another apartment building. It was a... 20 unit deal up in Vista, North County, San Diego. And he said, Hey, you know, I just worked with a great real estate broker. Let me put you in touch with him. And you know, you can see if this is an avenue you like. So that's kind of how I got into it. I started working, just kind of shadowing, checking out real estate, figuring out if it was what's right for me. It's like any job that's in sales. You end up making a lot of cold calls, a lot of direct, you know, contacting client, trying to build business. 
you know, it's a steep learning curve at first, but I'd say after, you know, the first year, you're just like a sponge. You're picking up all these things that I'm about to talk about today and starting to really get the hang of it so you can relay that over the phone. One deal popped off, another deal popped off. And, you know, I said, hey, this is this is something I can really do. I can actually make some money. It took about eight months to really get the hang of it on a full commission job. You know, once once you started to get some momentum, I decided, hey, I really like this. I'm getting the hang of it. You know, I want to make a career out of this. I think it's important just to try things. Luckily, the first thing I tried out of college was something I really felt I was good at and enjoyed. You know, here I am today, five, five and a half, six years in, and I've sold, you know, over $100 million worth of real estate. Now I've actually partnered with one of my co-agents, and we've started a team. So I've got a couple people working underneath me, and we're you know, we're, we're working together to, to really build the brand and grow. It's really cool. I really like the job. So Alexio is legit. <laughs> we can say it. He's legit. A book of business over $100 million. Unbelievable. And from seeing Alexio, us living together in the course with Reed, to where he's at today as a friend, it's really gratifying to see him be so successful, especially he made a really good point I want to touch on, commission-based. If you don't know what that means... That means that he doesn't make any baits. So he doesn't go to a job and make a salary. His commission is a salary. It means he has to sell a property to make money. Alexio, that's really scary. And you said you did that for eight months. So what was that grind like knowing that I'm not making any money right now, but if I keep my mentality in the right place, I will be able to make that money in the future? Well, the first six months, you know, I didn't make a penny and I was grinding like it's not just a nine to five. I was getting into the office at, at eight and leaving at 730. And I had a 45 minute commute up to Vista. I was living with my parents. And, you know, I was it was actually kind of good that I had that big commute. And, I, you know, I had to make things work. It was a sink or swim type of situation where I was in the office and I was not getting distracted by anything because I was like, I need to make these calls. I need to make this work. Otherwise, I'm just wasting my time here because I'm not getting paid to sit around or do any of this stuff unless I actually deliver. So it's definitely a grind and it's something that's still, you know, you, you have to be generating business throughout the career. Now it's getting easier because I've got repeat clients and whatnot, but you know, I find myself uh, having to push myself to get back on the phones and generate business on a regular basis just to keep the pipeline full. And uh, you know, it's something that never goes away. Grind never stops, baby. I've, I'm still on a full commission, so if I don't make any calls, I don't generate any business. I might not be. You know, I'm thinking of starting a family in the next couple of years, and I got to provide for them. And you know, I'm not going to have any money unless I actually do the work and make it happen. No one's no one's paying my salary. Does Reed get to be the Godfather? Reed. <laughs> The Godfather. He's the one here with the cotton balls in his mouth this whole time. Gazzini. <laughs> so let's bring Reed in a little bit. So Reed, your first time homeowner. Give us a quick glimpse of what made you want to buy property. Thanks for your question, Randy. I became interested in real estate after speaking to a number of mentors that I have and trying to understand better how they invest their money and what kind of opportunities they're looking for. And particularly, two of my mentors really encouraged me to investigate real estate investing. Unlike Alexio, you know, I, I am not working in real estate. I'm working pretty standard tech job in San Francisco. And I, I recognize that the income that I'm making, you know, at the time was disproportionate in that, you know, it's a very costly place to live in San Francisco and in the Bay Area in general and California in general. And I was looking for ways to augment and supplement my income passively, which is the infamous passive income term that you hear everyone talk about. 
I made a pretty dramatic move uh, and I moved home with the goal of saving money to buy a property because I knew the bar is so high in San Francisco. And I recognized very early that our friend group and the social activities in San Francisco are incredibly costly. And that while I was having a great time enjoying myself in San Francisco, I wasn't moving forward financially. While I moved home and saved money, like I said, I touched base with my mentors and tried to understand what I could do that would be the most thoughtful with this money that I'm saving while I'm back home. And real estate emerged as a good option for me. You know, at the time, I wasn't very comfortable with the stock market and I didn't feel that felt to me too much of a gamble. I was doing more traditional investment vehicles like 401ks and Roth IRAs and bonds. Um, but I didn't feel like there was enough yield basically in those options. And so investing into real estate felt like a good middle ground somewhere between these lower risk investment, you know, traditional investments that I had through 401k and, and bonds and feeling less risky to me and more tangible and understandable than stocks. So that's what got me interested. I think that is a great point. I think it's time to take a break. We got a good, good understanding of Alexio's background, his expertise in real estate, why are we going to buy a house? We'll take that Aware break, go use Loft 10. Again, Loft 10. Side note, Aware is actually living with Reed, or Reed lives with Aware, however you want to say it. Sean and Reed live together. So you can tell that we're a tight friend group here and we all support each other's endeavors. But we'll take a break. Let's get the Aware podcast and Aware apparel ad going and then we'll come back and we'll tag team with Alexio and Reed and talk about how Alexio helped Reed buy his first house. We'll be right back. Yo, Leap of Faith fans, as you heard on episode one of this podcast, Aware Apparel is an apparel and media company that aims to make meditation more accessible to the masses. Through their podcast, the Aware Audio Experience, they explore the role of mindfulness and meditation in today's society. Through their website, they offer a full suite of sustainable bamboo clothing and other mindful accessories like aroma bracelets and essential oils. You want to feel and look like a million bucks? Well, guess what? Use our exclusive promo code LOFT10, L-O-F-10. Go to their IG at Aware Apparel, A-W-E-A-R-A-P-P-A-R-E-L, or their website, aware-apparel.com. Again, don't forget to use LOFT10 for those exclusive deals. Go get it, Aware Apparel. You're the best. Welcome back from the Aware ad break. Go use their code LOFT10. Go get some swag. So Alexio, you represented Reed in his endeavors to buy property. What was it like? So what? let's use this as a story for the audience. What did you tell Reed in that first meeting when he presented you the idea he wanted to become a property owner? I remember when Reed gave me a call, I was really excited because I was personally starting to really understand real estate and I was I was kind of glowing with that information and I couldn't wait to share it with you know a close friend of mine actually Reed Harrison and Sean all uh, came and met me at the University Club down in uh, downtown San Diego and I kind of ran through you know the important factors of looking at a real estate investment that you know the layman might not realize or understand we'll just kind of get right into that so I can kind of share it with the audience as well one of the big things 
with looking at investments in general as people always talk about a return or the internal rate of return and kind of what how, how much money is my money going to be making for me if I put it in in a stock am I making five ten percent a year if I'm putting it in a, in a bond am I making two percent a year that's how people look at investments and so a lot of the return has to do with risk with real estate there's a thing called cash flow and that's essentially what your return is. It'd be your cash on cash return. So you put in $100,000, the cash on cash return on average in San Diego is between four and 6%, let's just say 5%. That means that you're making $5,000 a year in your pocket. But the actual return on real estate actually goes far beyond that. And I had this discussion with uh, Reed when we first met in that meeting at the top of the university club. So there's this phenomenon in real estate that I like to call the iceberg. And what you really see with cash flow is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a, a couple other factors that build on just that 5% return that we talked about in your pocket every year that are actually below the water, meaning you don't see them and a lot of people don't realize they're there. So there's three other factors that are below the iceberg. And those factors are principal pay down, meaning the amount that you're paying off your loan on top of the cash that's going in your pocket, you're also paying down a certain loan amount that eventually, typically a 30-year loan will be paid off in 30 years. So that's like equity that's going into your state, in your pocket. It's like a savings that you can't access until you sell or you refinance. Now, there's also depreciation, tax write-offs. So that's additional sheltering of that income from being subject to taxes. So say you have that 5% cash flow every year, you're actually gonna be able to claim depreciation and maybe shelter up to 100% of it sometimes from even being recognized by the IRS and being taxable. So that's why a lot of really rich people own real estate is because they end up not having to, you know, they're able to keep a lot of that money in their own pocket and it doesn't have to go to Uncle Sam. Now there's a third factor and that's appreciation. Now everybody knows about appreciation. That's just the properties going up in value over the course of time. And on average over the last 50 years appreciation in California has been you know around two to three percent per year the last couple years in California we've actually seen something closer to seven percent per year that's crazy it is crazy and it's not something you can really bank on I mean if you ask me if the proper if the market was going to keep appreciating at seven percent per year in 2017 I'd probably say oh man we've we're seeing values now we've never seen before they're higher than 2008 you know I don't know that I can tell you with confidence that it's going to keep going up. But sure enough, the last three years, you know, going into 2020, it's been very aggressive with rates going or with uh, appreciation staying at a steady five to seven percent rate in San Diego. So that's great. I mean, if you take that all of those extra factors into account, you're not looking at just a 5% cash on cash return in your pocket. You're legitimately looking at an equity growth of closer to 15 to 20% on your money on a yearly basis. And so let me bring Reed in. When Alexia told you all this information, was this brand new to you? How did you wrap your head around this? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, holy smokes, I really don't understand. Like, how did you feel about that in the moment hearing it? And I'm sure many listeners maybe even now are feeling that it's complicated and there's a lot of terms and there's a lot of metrics that seem important that you later find out maybe aren't important and there's, there's a lot of information but Alexia did a great job I think of breaking it down and kind of steering us toward the the significant numbers I think one 
misconception that I had was that compared to stocks, I was thinking that real estate might be less data or numbers driven, and that is not the case at all. So I think you should come in with the mindset that you're going to have to analyze plenty of data. So at first there there was a lot to consider, but I think with anything you got to jump in, you got to start looking at the numbers, you got to start conceptualizing the market that you're in, select a market, hone in on some criteria that's significant to you, and, and Alexio really helped steer us toward that. And what I really appreciated about Alexio is that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that your focus is not really the residential market that we were buying in, and that appealed to me because you're in touch with people who are investing much greater sums of money and you're in touch with the knowledge that those people have and that's ultimately where i'd love to be tracking toward and so that whole style of thinking that you were bringing to the conversation was really helpful you know there it's something to consider if you are looking to buy real estate you got to think about if you're buying it for yourself to live in or if you're buying it as an investment. If you're buying it as an investment, you have to be working with someone who understands the numbers and can explain it to you and help you understand it so you feel comfortable. I think I ran something like 30 different models on different properties for Harry and Reed and we met in person to really dive through the numbers because for me, you know, looking at it every day, it makes perfect sense, but for Reed and Harrison, they had plenty of questions. Now, if you're looking at buying a place for yourself to live in, that's an entirely different transaction. You know, it's not a logical based decision. It's a, you know, a subjective decision. Yeah. It's an emotional decision. You feel, we want to feel like you can entertain guests in the living room. I tend to stay away from those type of sales. I have done residential transactions for friends and family. It's not my focus. And you know, to really be good at something, you have to have a niche. And for me, that's investments. And just so you guys know, Harrison is Reed's brother. They went in on the house together and paid for it. Yes, exactly. The other thing I wanted to touch on was something Alexio mentioned earlier around the appreciation of properties and what encouraged me to buy. Other of my peers that were considering making a real estate investment kept saying, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the market to drop. I'm going to wait. It's coming. The drop's going to come. I look back and I couldn't be happier that I made the decision to get into the market the time that I did because now it's been very beneficial financially. And I think it just gets back to the age-old adage of time in the market beats timing the market. And I really appreciated Alexio's guidance there and encouragement there. And I think that long-term horizon ultimately helps you. And I, you know, that's something I wish I had thought of sooner. One of the things we talked about that I really drilled in with you guys, what you know, you're worried about, is it going to go down? Is it going to go up? When you're buying a cash-flowing asset, with a 30-year fixed mortgage, that rate is not going to change. You know the rent's probably going to stay where it is. If not in San Diego, where we have such a housing shortage, it's probably not going to go down because that guy moves out. You got 10 people waiting, waiting to fill a spot. You have this cash flow cushion. So even if it does go down, who cares? You've got plenty of time to wait for it to come back up before you make another move with this asset. And in the meantime, you're going to be collecting cash flow. You know, if you have a 30-year horizon, that average of 2-3% on a bad day is going to hold true in any market. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. That is some really good information. We'll take a break here to the music, and we'll go into more of what does it take to buy a house? What's the day-to-day? What is escrow? How do you put an offer in? And talk about Reed's experience with Alexia there. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the podcast. Now we're going to keep it very high level. We did a great job telling y'all 
what it's like, the terms and everything. So we're gonna take you through the buying process now. What it takes, how many days, things of that nature. So Reed, you had your conversation with Alexio, he gave you some information. Now again, moving the story forward, tell us about what it took to actually buy the house the steps. I would say we could have gone much faster. All delays, first of all, were imposed by Harrison and I in our misunderstanding or curiosity or concern about the process. And I think that's part of what comes with the territory the first time that you buy property. And Alexio did a great job again of like assuaging our fears and our concerns and answering our questions and being super responsive. I think one of the biggest fears a lot of buyers have is, you know, when you open escrow, you're required to put in earnest money deposit. Essentially, that's just, you know, around $10,000, $20,000. Depends on the deal size. But a buyer's thinking, well, is this money going into escrow? Is it refundable? Like, and you know, I can say, yes, it's refundable, but, you know, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. So they really need to feel comfortable that it is before you know and that's and that with any buyer i've worked with they've had that similar question i think we worked through those with you as well um so yeah i believe on your transaction it was a fifteen thousand dollar deposit you put that in escrow you immediately started talking with the lender that i referred over steve and got the process moving you know we we put one offer out and we didn't get the opportunity and after we took that first plunge of putting an actual offer in things started moving much more quickly. Once we got acquainted with the contingencies and we got acquainted a little bit more with the process and we realized that there wasn't a incredibly high risk to putting an offer out, that's when things started really moving forward. So it was very slow and it accelerated very quickly. So you saw the house, you liked it, talked to the agent who ended up being Alexio or the person representing the house and put an offer out. Well, on a lot of these, you know, on the condos or these uh, residential deals that are vacant. So a lot of the times they're just on a sentry lockbox. So I was able to meet Reed and Harrison after work. We walked through the units that they liked. I think we walked something like five, six units. We put an offer on two. They were both in the Bay Park area. This was over the course of three or four months. So over that time, they had were persistently checking the new deals that were coming on the market, watching things that were selling. And I think in doing that, they also felt more comfortable with prices. You know, at first you see a lot of numbers and you're like, is this a good deal? Is it not? When you're staring at it, you know, a couple times a week for a mm-hmm. three, four month period doing your homework, you feel a lot more confident when the right deal does come along that it is it is a good deal and it's the right deal for you. Yeah, I would say it was 85% research, 85% question asking and 85% understanding the market. Is 800 square feet too much or too little? Is that worth this price? Is you know, And just getting acquainted with what good numbers are and what bad numbers are. So it was like 85% research. Then there was a you know, five to 10% section of the, the entire process that was putting offers out and maybe getting rejected. And then there was the last tip of the process, which was, I think we had a 60 day closing window or maybe well, we, a 30 we, day. We went through a couple counters, you know, when you put an offer in, they can either just not respond. Maybe another offer came in higher. They go with that. In our case, we were getting counters and that would be a seller counter to our offer. So say we're at, you know, 350,000, they counter back at 360 and you know, we decide if it still makes sense at that price, or maybe we counter back at 355. And with some some different terms, I believe our offer was you know a standard offer with 17 day physical contingency period, meaning that's the time you have to investigate the 
condition of the property and the property records to make sure that it's what you want. You know, it's not going to fall over tomorrow. And then you have a 30-day uh, loan contingency, and that's pretty much from day one. You get started with the lender; they're underwriting your financials. You have the appraiser come out, and you know, assuming the appraisal comes back on time, you have 30 days to figure out if it's going to work for the lender. And within that time frame, within either of those time frames, if something doesn't work out, or you know, you find something that you don't like, those are contingencies, meaning you still have the right to back out during the 17 days for whatever reason that you want. You know, if you find out the property, the foundation is broke, is messed up, or you find out that the appliances are all dysfunctional or there's a roof leak, you can either renegotiate at that point or you can back out entirely and get your entire earnest money deposit back. On the loan side, that 30 days, the lender is going to be doing everything they can. They're going to be requesting a lot of financials. I mean, Reed, maybe you can talk to that a little bit. There were a lot of financials. Lenders don't just give out, you know, loans of, $300,000 or even Fair. millions mm-hmm. of dollars in many cases, cases without really diving into the borrower. So what was that like, Reed? It was a, a host of new characters were introduced. So at first it was just Alexio, who was our main guru and main contact, but then there was an escrow agent and there was the lender and there was the seller's uh, agent. And suddenly there were a lot of characters that candidly didn't fully understand all of their capacities and were learning about them as we were closing uh, but we were on accelerated timeline and we were moving very quickly so it was stressful i think there's an element of stress in this transaction in general going through it the first time regardless of the conditions and you have to be very nimble and i think very responsive once you have an offer that's that's in place Right. Once once it's accepted, it's go time. So you you know you don't get to lollygag. They're asking for financials. You got to get it to them on time because you only have that thirty day period. If you don't have an answer within thirty days. Say the lender's like, I still need five six more days to figure this out because I didn't get financials from Reed or I'm still waiting on something from Harrison's boss. You know the seller has a right to back out at that point too after notifying you. Of course, you know if you're not progressing at the timeline stipulated in the contract, you know time is of the essence in a real estate transaction. I think that that element of stress is definitely specific to the first deal. I think if you do another one, you're going to be a lot more confident knowing who the escrow is, knowing what title does, knowing who to ask for this, you know what you can say to Steve. Finish off with the timelines. Randy had asked about, you know, 17 day physical, 30 day. Loan contingency. I believe we had a 60-day close. Mm-hmm. Those are typical. That's a very typical transaction. Sometimes it'll be 45-day close if you want to be a little more aggressive. Or, you know, another way to make your offer a little more aggressive is say, hey, you know, this is my price, but I only need five, ten days to really look into the property for my physical contingency. So if there's an, a competitive environment with multiple offers, you know, you can do something like that, saying, hey, in five, ten days, I'll be hard on my money, essentially. That earnest money deposit will, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much going to be willing to put it up at risk within five, 10 days. I'm not going to hold you hostage, you know, with me investigating and lollygagging around for 17 days. You know, you got to realize a lot of sellers want to want to know that they have a deal. That's the reason they're selling. They're trying to make moves. Maybe it's another property that they're trying to buy or, you know, they have a, a death in the family or, or they're going through a divorce and they want to just get this this headache out of the way. So a lot of them are receptive to, to adjusting timeframes. And when you're working with a good agent, they'll be able to explain these uh, variables to you and, and maneuver them in a way to, to really bring your offer to light. And obviously Reed was working with the best agent in San Diego, Alexio. 
So with that, we'll take one more <laughs> pause break and we'll do our final segment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our final segment, rounding third. So Reed has now been a homeowner for six plus months. And let's get an update here, Reed. What's it like? Has it been what you thought? Collecting rent? Are you living in the house? Mortgages? Things of that nature. Overall, been a great process and I look forward to the, the next one. And honestly, I'm excited and glad that I made this decision. And I, I look forward to the continued success of this property and hopefully future properties. It's a goal that I set out to do and to see it be as successful as it is so far is, is really gratifying. So it's good. Awesome. How was the tenant process post-closing? I remember you had closed escrow. There were a couple improvements you wanted to make to try to get a certain rent goal that you were looking for in this area. With me saying it's been a great process and very gratifying, it has not been without challenges and not been without complexities. And I think that's all part of the mindset that you need to approach this with. I mean, it's pure learning for a first-time home buyer. So I think to your question, Alexio, the... You know, after we closed, the first step we had to do was then closing itself. Once it was closed, the timer was still on. Now we're on the hook for a mortgage and we want to get a renter in there as soon as possible because this is an investment property that we're not going to be living in. So the next step was, okay, we want to do some renovations on the apartment. We need to get cooking on contractors. We need to get cooking on, you know, people who can repair the property or make changes that we were looking for. And again, Alexio, your network was incredible. We were able to get connected with contractors, but that was a complex process. I mean, buying a home is just, was just one of the first. The next first was working with contractors. You know, the contractor was great, but just the element of trying to move it as quickly as possible to get a renter in was stressful at the start, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember post-closing, we were talking a lot. I think I helped you get some photos and, you know, I was, I was communicating with you, putting you in touch with our preferred contractor, Lee, and he did something like he put all new flooring in, he put in a washer dryer because we decided, you know, looking at what's on the market, you can get close to $200 more in rent, just having a washer dryer in your unit. So we found a way to make that work. We had to negotiate with the HOA. I think shortly after that, within... 30 days of closing, I think you guys had a, a renter in there, maybe 30, 45 days, something like that. I would say it took longer than 30 days, but we did have a, a renter in there very quickly. Um, and that was exciting. Our renter who's moving out now has been an excellent tenant. We were initially looking for two people to live in the property and just one moved in um, and was able to manage the payments on his own. He couldn't have been better uh you know very great starter you know tenant to have he, he even did his own improvements on the property like he, he painted a wall we love like what he did to the apartment so why is um, he moving out he's moving out because he himself closed on our property now and we've negotiated with him to break the lease because it's beneficial actually to our to harrison and my situation now and what's your situation well, the market here in San Diego has appreciated substantially enough that it makes sense for us to refinance and do what's called a cash out refinance, which I'm sure Alexio can break down much more intelligently than I can. Essentially, Harrison, my brother, will be moving into the apartment 
and we will be delisting it as an investment and instead be showing it as an owner-occupied investment. And that's beneficial on the loan side because anytime a lender sees it as you're, you yourself are living in the property that they're giving you a loan on, they see it as less risk because it's your house, it's your home. You have a less likelihood of defaulting on that loan because that's your that's the roof over your head. If it's an investment property, the lender will look at it and say, "Okay, well, if they lose that, you know, maybe they'll just maybe they'll maybe we'll end up taking this one back, and it's not as much of a problem for them because they've got another roof over their head." So typically, what that relates to is a better rate on the loan. So in their case, they're doing a cash out refinance. The market has actually gone up. They closed on this two bedroom, one bath in North Park six months ago. November. November. Yeah. So a little, uh, this is more like nine months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the past nine months, it's gone up in value, you know, upwards of $60,000. And so what they're doing now, rates have actually ticked down. I think original rate was around 3.8%. And now the rates have gone down to almost 3%. So what that means is they're able to, if they were just going to do a rate and term refinance, they would just be able to now reduce, start over their mortgage and reduce the rate down to 3%. And that would save them additional money per month, which equals more cash flow, more money in your pocket, less money to the bank. But what also they're able to capture now, because it's gone up in value by you know upwards of $60,000, is they can take 80% of that new equity in what's called a cash out refi. So you're looking at pulling out an additional $40,000 and reducing your rate. And in doing so, the combination of those two items, it's only increasing your payment per month, you know, around 100, 150 bucks, something like that. Mm -hmm. So what's awesome about that is now he has that extra $40,000. He saved more money over the last year he can now go and buy another condo or another investment property or use that money in the stock market. You know, if you're borrowing money at 3% and you're in the stock market making 5 to 10% or in real estate making, you know, 5% cash flow per year or 15%, you know, real return when you capture all of the things under the iceberg, you're borrowing that money at 3%. Every dollar that you're borrowing is working for you. It's called positive leverage. I'm borrowing at 3% and I'm investing it at 15%. Like you do the math, that's an excellent return. And so I think that's kind of the goal you guys are doing now. Um, By moving into the property, you're going to capture that lower rate and uh, be able to facilitate this cash out refi. Harrison might live there for a year, maybe lives there for five years. But whenever he decides to move out, now it's back to an investment property. Maybe you guys have added another one to your portfolio to, to kind of do it all again. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to boil it down, it's it's been pretty uncharacteristically beneficial for us in a very short period of time. The the amount of you know money we put down is around a hundred thousand dollars, and to see sixty or more thousand dollars of appreciation in less than nine months, I mean that I'll take that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I'll that's, take that's that. serious. And I think you made a good point to start capping off the podcast, because you said. This has been a goal of mine, and I feel accomplished that we made it happen. And when Reed and I were living together in San Francisco, he always talked about buying a property. And you've heard me on this podcast talk to other people, Mark Wooding starting after school, Sean Levinson starting Aware, Sean Nicklaw playing European football, other people on the podcast talking about dreams, and they made it happen. And it wasn't just overnight that they made it happen. This took Reed 
having to move from living with his friends in San Francisco to move home to his parents for 10 months to save money to then move to San Diego and then have to go through the process of Alexio. It wasn't an overnight process. There's something he had to commit to and he had the determination, willpower, and mindset to make it happen. And you guys do too out there on this podcast listening. It's not going to be easy whatever your dreams and what your mindset is, but if you stick to it and work at it day every day, I truly believe, and you should believe in yourself that you can make it happen. You got to take that leap of faith. Hey, let's go. So the end of podcast, quickly to wrap it up, I'll give Reed and Alexio one minute each. Please give me three takeaways that you want the audience to have leaving this podcast. Yeah, I would say give yourself plenty of time from the time that you decide this is something you want to do. Really let yourself do the research. So I think that's one, one big one. Don't over leverage yourself. I think it's also very important to maintain a financial safety net in the event that things go catastrophic. So I don't know what your tendencies out there that are listening, but there was part of me that wanted to throw all of my money toward this. And so I think it's important to not over leverage yourself and not leave yourself vulnerable in making an investment that takes so much money to achieve. Be patient and and save the money. So I think those are probably my top two. Cool. Alexia? Yeah, I would say, especially if it's your first investment, make sure to learn as much as you can. You can't feel comfortable about investing $100,000, $20,000, $30,000. You can't feel comfortable about doing something like that unless you really understand what you're doing. So part of that means finding a trusted you know, real estate agent that you like and you know, trust and can ask questions to really jumpstart your learning process and, and get acquainted with how it works. And then two, there's a lot of good YouTube videos out there, you know, some of them conflicting, but if you listen to a lot of them, you'll start to understand the terms and you'll start to understand, you know, what you're personally looking for. Three, learn the market, get on Zillow Mm -hmm. and, and, and look at, look at properties. You can't expect to just say, Hey, I want to buy a real estate. I want to buy real estate. And then like happen overnight, like, hey, I found a perfect deal, let's go. You're not gonna know that that deal is the perfect deal until you've spent several months scanning and skimming the market and getting to know what's out there. Otherwise, you might think it's a great deal, but you're not gonna have the confidence to move forward. So I would say, you know, do your research and get acquainted with the market. Yeah, thank you so much, Reed and Alexio. Obviously, some people who are listening probably have questions. Can I give someone's information here if they have questions about buying property or they want to use you as a real estate agent alexio yeah if you want to find me you can find me on instagram at cashflow alexio i've got a website at lionscre.com where the lions group and cre commercial real estate so lionscre.com and uh, on there you'll find my email and a phone number other ways you can contact me i'm happy to you know run through some ideas. Obviously, this was just kind of the tip of the iceberg, if you will. Uh, there's a, a lot of other tips and tricks I can give you more specific to your you know, your general situation. Yeah, let's make some money together. Awesome. And as someone at the start of the podcast saying, I'm going to learn a lot here. I've definitely learned a lot. And from you two, the three things I would take away is what Reed said, number one, is patience and making sure you do the research, as you just said as well, and knowing what the market is, Having a trusted advisor, someone who understands the terminology, understands how to guide you. If it's a real estate agent, maybe it's a friend you have who understands the market. Having someone to be that resource. And three, go make it happen. You worked your butt off to make it to the point where you have the financial stability to go make it happen. 
if you can make it happen and that's what you can go do, go make it happen. Go enjoy the property you get and see what it comes out of it. With that being said, this is the Leap of Faith podcast with yours truly, Randy Silver. Thank you, Reed. Thank you, Lexio, for coming on this week's podcast, Real Estate Investment 101. Follow us at the Leap of Fate Pod, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Google, Apple, anywhere you can go. Go give us a like, subscribe. Keep telling me your feedback. Gratitude to you, my audience. Thank you so much for listening this week. Thank you so much for listening every week. You all are the best fans in the world. Reed, Alexio, I know you guys listen to my podcast. Can you guys do the sign off with me? Deuces. 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 <laughs>